0: Hi, I'm Jim Calloway
1: and I'm Sharon Nelson.
0: This is the 64th edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. Today our topic is social media for lawyers part one. There's so much to cover on this topic that we decided to split it into two different parts. Jim and I
1: are very happy to have two noted guests today. Ernie Svensson spent two years as a law clerk to a federal trial judge and has practiced commercial litigation for the last 26 years. The last six years, he's practiced as a sole solo practitioner. He started his Ernie the Attorney weblog in 2002, and it was chosen by the ABA Journal as one of the top 100 law blogs. He has started several other blogs, including pdfforlawyers.com, which is about using PDFs in the practice of law. He has a new book published by the ABA called Blogging in One Hour for Lawyers, and it's excellent. I'm reading it. Thank you.
0: And our second guest today is Jared Correa. He's the Senior Law Practice Advisor with the Massachusetts Law Office Management Assistance Program. Before joining LOMAP, Jared managed CLE Publications and the Casemaker Research Engine for the Massachusetts Bar Association. He's also been a practicing lawyer in a small firm setting where he mostly focused on personal injury, real estate, and disability law. Jared is a frequent speaker for local, regional, and national lawyers groups. He's a regular contributor to many publications, including Attorney at Work. Jared is the author of the ABA publication, Twitter in One Hour for Lawyers, and will be doing a presentation at ABA Tech Show 2013. Ernie and Jared, it's a pleasure to have you with us. It's great to be here. Hey, thanks for having me, I appreciate it. Well, let's start with blogging, Ernie, since you're one of the best known uh, lawyer bloggers. Who would benefit from reading your book, Blogging in One Hour for Lawyers? And please tell us how much the book costs and where to purchase it. Okay. Well, I think that most people think that the book is for
2: lawyers who haven't yet started a blog. And it was definitely written with them in mind. Um, it is a book that you can pick up and follow th- you know, from uh, beginning to end and learn how to set up a blog. I walk you through the process of setting up a blog. So that's all covered in the book. But if you already have a blog or you have a website and you want to get more out of it, the book also covers that, and it talks about uh, how to write posts that people pay attention to, how to write and craft headlines for your posts that get attention of people who can then use them on Twitter, and I know Jared's going to talk about that, but it's important to tie your your website and your weblog into other social media tools like Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn. So it covers that. It covers pretty much everything you need to know about um, how to update a blog and keep it going and get attention.
1: How about how much it costs and where to purchase it, Ernie?
2: You can get it two ways. One, you can get it from the ABA website, and it's $39 for non-LPM members. If you're an LPM member, I believe it's $24. Or you can buy it from the Apple iBook store, and there it is $19.
1: Great. Thanks. I've got to tell you that when I went to see my my youngest daughter last weekend, I was actually in the process of reading your book uh, and I was telling her about you being called Ernie the attorney and she thought I was kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that was it was funny. That
2: that name was kind of a weird thing because I never, never referred to myself as Ernie. My father was also called Ernest and he went by Ernie, but there was a magistrate here in New Orleans who used to call me Ernie the attorney and she had this way of being stern when necessary, but also being playful. And that was her playful way of, you know, referring to me. So that was the name I picked for the blog, really, just because I thought at that time nobody was going to read it and I didn't think (laughs) I was going to keep it up. And then it got all kinds of attention and people thought I was a marketing genius. uh, I I, I concur. You are a marketing (laughs) genius. (laughs) Well, I'm a marketing genius in the way that Mr. Magoo is really good at navigating.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What works, what works, works. Exactly. Uh, One of the questions I get asked a lot by lawyers is, why would a lawyer want to have a blog? A very, very threshold question.
2: Yeah, I get that question a lot. And I think it's a great question, obviously, because doing a blog is is something that can be time-consuming and it takes effort. So before you jump into it, you should know why it would be useful. But it is definitely useful. For me, it's been very, very useful. And I know that for Jim and, and you as well, you've, you have blogs. So you know when you have one that what happens is it's a way for you, first of all, I think, to pay attention to an area that you want to pay attention to. I think it's kind of like – if you're into photography and you carry a camera around, in the beginning you may not know exactly how to use it, but the mere fact that you're carrying a camera around when you're visiting a city makes you pay attention to things in a different kind of way. And I think that's true for blogging. If you're if you're if you know you have a blog and you're gonna write, you start paying attention to things that you could write about. And so that's the first part that people who don't have blogs think it's going to be a lot more work and effort than it really is. It's not because you you start to pay attention. Then once you start to pay attention and you write, that gets the attention of people who are interested in that area and those people could be clients. They could be reporters. They could be people who have magazines that need stories written for them and they see that you're already writing about it. So it's a very effortless way of getting attention from a lot of different fronts. And that's something that you learn as you have a blog, as I'm sure you both you and Jim have learned.
0: But the question I hear a lot is being a solo lawyer or even any lawyer in any practice setting, they're, they're all really busy practicing law. Isn't, isn't keeping up a blog just too time-consuming?
2: Well, I mean, it can be if you don't know how to do it, and that's really another th- important thing uh, about the book is that I try to explain how you do that, and, it's, and that's something that's best explained in the book. But uh, basically, the trick, as again, both of you guys know, is to gather the information that you're going to use to post in a very efficient way. And so in the beginning, you're not as adept at that, and so it takes a little more time. But once you get good at it, I mean, it's easy to get good at it pretty quickly once you know what you're supposed to be doing. You gather information efficiently, which you would be doing anyway if you're paying attention to a certain practice area, and you do that using RSS feeds, Twitter, looking at LinkedIn groups and so forth. And once you've gathered that information, you re-channel it into an area where you can use it as a blog post. And it's really not that time-consuming. I would say that the most time-consuming part is actually writing the post. And, you know, a post of a couple of paragraphs could take you, you know, 20 minutes to write. But gathering the information for it is just something you do on an ongoing basis while you're just reading in that area of uh, of interest that you have. So you're not really doing any extra work as far as information gathering. You just have to be strategic about how you gather it and stage it to be used in your blog post.
1: There are some lawyers who like to outsource the writing of their blog to someone else. And for listeners who might not know, that's called ghost blogging. So what benefits or problems are there with the concept of ghost blogging?
2: Well, first, let me say that that's a, that's a really attractive thing to a lot of lawyers because they think that it's going to solve the problem of they don't have the time to write the blog posts, And so there are a lot of there are people out there who will say, look, we'll do this for you. It'll save you time and we know how to do it. And it's very tempting to accept that offer. But I really don't think you should because the real value of a blog is that it's written in your voice. And it's written when you're interested in something. And so if you're not writing the post, you're going to miss out on learning about the subject matter, all kinds of things. And people are going to assume you've posted that. And if they ask you a question about something that they assume you posted and you can't answer it, you're going to look silly and you don't want that. And then there are the ethical issues of outsourcing things to people who don't know the ethics rules that you are bound by and so they're more they're more likely to make a mistake than you are so there's just a lot of reasons not to do it not the least of which is the ethical issues but the main reason is really just it's just better if you write it i mean if you if you don't have it, if you're not passionate enough about writing in a certain area you probably shouldn't be blogging that's you know that's kind of harsh but that's my view
0: I think that's very good advice, Ernie. You mentioned ethical rules. Many states have rules about how lawyers can promote themselves. What advice could you offer to lawyers about uh, avoiding ethical trouble with your blog?
2: And that's something that, that also comes up a lot, and I get asked that question. and and I think really it's easy to avoid the trouble. and people lawyers tend to overthink this and they look at all the things that can go wrong, but here's here's the way you avoid the problem. First of all, I don't think it's a good idea to use a blog or any of these social media tools to overtly promote yourself or to do self-promotion, which sounds kind of weird because I earlier said that's essentially what you're going to have happen. And it is. But the thing is, you don't want to be overt about it. So the way you're you're not overt about it is you just gather useful information. So for example, Lee Rosen, who has an excellent blog called Divorce Discourse in, in North Carolina, Uh, He doesn't write about himself and his firm all the time. He writes about things that would be of interest to people who are paying attention to matrimonial issues. So he will talk about how to have a successful marriage. Well, that's something that a lot of lawyers would say. Why would a divorce lawyer talk about that? Well, because that builds trust. Plus, that's just something that people want to know. So if you put out useful information that people like, they will follow you and then they will trust you. And that's how you promote yourself. And really, that's how you've always promoted yourself. I mean, you don't walk into a room and meet people and start telling them about you, 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 you. You try to find out about them and engage in a conversation. And so if you avoid overt carpet bombing style promotion, you'll do fine. If you if you are going to, to use a blog to overtly s- self-promote, it's not going to be successful, number one, or as successful as it would be. And it might get you into ethical trouble. So just don't do that.
1: Ernie, have you yourself gotten any business from having a blog? Is that something that a lawyer can genuinely expect if they have a blog?
2: I have gotten business from having a blog. And I will tell you that I'm sure most other lawyers have as well. It's it's one of those things that people ask, well, what's the ROI on a blog? And you you can't really measure that very precisely. But the fact of the matter is you don't measure it precisely when people call you up you know, on the phone uh, for other reasons. So you, the way to f- determine if that's happening is just – After 18 months or so of blogging, you'll ask yourself, are you getting calls from reporters? Are you being asked to speak? Are you being asked to write? All of those opportunities will will lead to business and build trust, which will lead to business. So unquestionably, it's something that leads to business because it's just a different way of doing something that lawyers have always done, which is establish expertise and establish trust.
0: The more you're out on the Internet in a positive way, the better it is, in my opinion, Ernie. Exactly. Exactly. Let's go ahead and move on to Twitter. Jared, I hear a lot of lawyers saying, everybody says I need to get on Twitter, but what do I get out of it?
3: Tough to follow up, Ernie, but I'll do my best. Um, (laughs) This can be sort of an existential question. I won't talk about waiting for Godot, even though I wrote my thesis on that topic, but I've got a chapter in my book about this very issue. I think what you get out of Twitter is sort of based on what you want to get out of Twitter. So there's a number of reasons to get on the site most people I think probably think client generation I want to get clients I want to make money off of this but not everybody thinks that way some people are into Twitter for professional development some people use it as a news aggregation system a lot of news breaks on Twitter these days because you've got millions of real-time reporters out there reporting news as they see it in their local community some people use it for a reputation management sort of tool market correction tactic where they can see what people are saying about them people even use it for a social hub where you're talking about folks who are using this site twitter as the site through which they can push out information to their other social networks so twitter sort of acts as their hub for all their other social networks that's useful as well any of these ways are legitimate combinations of using these ways to access twitter and to use twitter are legitimate as well So it's certainly fine, and it depends on what you want to get out of it, which one of these ways you want to go. And this is not an exhaustive list either. People use Twitter for many other ways. So another thing I want to talk about here is that Twitter is great even if you never tweet, particularly in the area of professional development. One thing that's great about Twitter is that you can create lists of people that you follow. Generally speaking, you have a bunch of friends on Twitter, and you get all their updates. You can segregate that list down so that you can follow 5, 10, 15, 20 people in a certain category. If you're using Twitter for that aspect, you're getting a bunch of people who are sending you their best information and you can use it as a professional development tool, even if you never send out a message on your own. You can use Twitter to search as well, even if you're not using it to post information on your own. If you're talking about gaining uh, competitive development, rather, uh, accessing information about your firm competitors, Trying to find a job as an attorney. I know a lot of attorneys who are starting out as solo lawyers and they're looking for a job at the same time. Use Twitter for that to find out information about companies and people that you want to contact. I'm sure there's big business for Twitter with respect to e discovery, although I don't have any personal experience with that. Even if you don't tweet, you can use Twitter to search. And if you're going to use a search tool for Twitter, you can use Twitter's own search tool, or there's a great search engine out there called Ice Rocket that you can use to search social media sites like Twitter and Facebook. And you can also use a blog search tool. So it's a way to funnel search results that you wouldn't get from like a google.com.
1: Your last point was really great about how you can use Twitter without actually posting. But there are those who want to post. And I hear a lot of them say, I don't know that I have the time to tweet myself with everything else I'm doing. Is there an effective way to consistently post without becoming overwhelmed?
3: And I should say, I think most people want to tweet, but there are some people out there who just want to gather information, which is certainly okay. I think with respect to using Twitter, it's about time management and acting with moderation, but that's pretty much the case with almost everything in life. So I don't have necessarily a single solution. I have some tips that I wanted to relay that folks could use, and it depends on what works for you as an individual as to how you want to use Twitter so that you don't become overwhelmed by it. One of the things I think is effective is that you can set up power hours where you're actually active on Twitter. 90% of the time when I'm posting something on Twitter, I'm not actively engaged in the site. I've scheduled posts from previous uh, times that I've been on. So I don't keep Twitter open all day because that would be a huge time suck for me. What I do is I go on in the morning or I go on at night and I schedule some posts and I respond to people who've contacted me. Grading lists are a great way to create a collection of folks whose information you can push out that you can retweet, which is the engine of Twitter, really, as I see it. And that's another time tool. You're not looking through everybody who follows you. You're looking for the selected down list of people who follow you. Another thing that's useful is to create template-style posts. So Ernie was talking about creating broadcast tools for when you send your blog out through other social media channels. So on Twitter, if you're going to post your blog every week, you can create a, a sample sort of post that you make that looks the same every week, i.e., new post at my blog respecting X. Send that out every time. You don't have to think about what you're going to post when you send out a blog, a new blog through Twitter. Scheduling posts is helpful, which I referenced before. If you're using hashtags, which are an effective way to engage in specific communications on Twitter under certain topic areas, you can use a service called Tweet Chat, which is free which will allow you to have that conversation with blinders on so you're not looking at the rest of the streams that can some uh, sometimes pollute your vision on Twitter. You could use TweetChat, for example, engaging yourself with uh, ABA Tech Show using their hashtag, ABA Tech Show. Just one of the things you can do of uh, five that I've listed, but again, not an exhaustive list, and it's what works for you with respect to how you can save your time on Twitter and manage it so that it
0: doesn't overtake a lot of the other things you want to do. Jared, we failed to give you the opportunity we gave Ernie. so why don't you tell us how they can get your book and and how much it costs?
3: Oh, sure. You can get the book by typing in Twitter in one hour for lawyers on Google. It's just that easy, and it'll be the first entry, which is the ABA's webpage for it. You can buy it there, or you can buy it on iTunes as well, just like with Ernie's book.
0: Okay. Well, there are lots of other social networks that lawyers are encouraged to join. How does Twitter fit in, and and how does do lawyers manage all of these various social media accounts?
3: Well, I think Twitter fits in because it's one of these gigantic social networking sites that everybody's on. People have said fish where the fish are. Well, you should use where the users are online. Twitter's got millions and millions of users, as does Facebook, as does LinkedIn, as is these other gigantic social media sites. So you want to be on just to contact other folks who are on these sites, some of which assuredly have some interest in the services that you're offering as a lawyer. Beyond that, I think you don't necessarily want to do everything on social media, at least right away. I think you want to have some comfort level with what you do, so pick where you're good at. And I think it's true that you can be better at certain sites and in certain platforms than in others. And eventually, that's sort of going to be informed by your return on investment. So what are you getting out of Twitter, and is it what you expected to get out of Twitter? If not, maybe you ultimately don't want to use it, but I think you should at least give a, take a shot at it at some point in marketing your practice. Probably the best way to manage all these various social media accounts is to use a third-party social media account management platform. Two of the best ones out there, I think, are Hootsuite and TweetDeck, which is Twitter's main third-party management platform. Twitter.com, if you've been on it, is a fairly static site. For example, you can't edit any of the retweets that you send out. So what you need to do is you need to have something that's a little bit more flexible. You'll be able to create your own streams. You'll be able to manage using a better interface you'll be able to cross-post to other websites. All that functionality can be derived from a third-party site like Hootsuite or TweetDeck, and they'll make it easier for you to gain some leverage on Twitter. There's other sites like Buffer and DeliverIt, which is dlvr.it, where you can push blog posts out automatically, or you can post to Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn at the same time. If you use a site like this, Sort of like when I advise people at LowMap if you use a second monitor on your computer, you'll never go back to using a single monitor. <laughs> Same kind of thing here. If you use Hootsuite, for example, which is a free program, you'll never go back to Twitter.com.
1: <laughs> I agree with that. But most lawyers understand that you have to utilize certain codes and symbols to use Twitter effectively, but they often ask whether there's really kind of a Twitter-specific language or whether that's a myth. What would you say, Jared?
3: You see people throwing around words out there like the Twitterverse and tweeps, And to my mind, that's a horrific perversion of the English language. <laughs> I think people read that and they feel like they have to talk in a specific way on Twitter. But for the love of God, please, when you go on Twitter, use natural language and speak like a normal human being. The <laughs> things you need to know on Twitter are really these little symbols that sort of act as commands on the service. Retweet I talked about, which is forwarding someone else's content. All you have to do is type in RT and send that message along. At, the at symbol will allow you to have conversations with other people on the service. If you use a dot in front of the at sign, you're going to have a conversation, but it's going to be broadcast to everybody who follows you. The pound symbol is important as well. That's the hashtag symbol. That's how you have conversations on Twitter that are aggregated in a certain stream. Now, there are other miscellaneous sound uh, symbols as well, like HT for hat tip and MT for modified tweet. But generally speaking, the three I mentioned are the main ones, the main ones that you're going to want to worry about. So if there's anything like a Twitter language, it's really a collection of symbols that you use within the service. The other thing I'll note before we leave this subject is that you want to be able to use abbreviations on Twitter. You've got 140 characters. You want to be able to work in enough space so that somebody could retweet your content and also include their username when they do so. So instead of saying with and spelling that out, you can use W slash. Instead of saying attorney, you could use A-T-T-Y. There are a number of different abbreviations that you could use, and I actually include a list in one of the appendices to the book.
1: I I really love your plain English tip there, and I'm going to remember that, Jared, the next time I'm on the Twitterverse. (laughs) (laughs) You're just feeding into it now. (laughs) (laughs) I planned that line. Come on.
0: (laughs) Jared, what are three things that lawyers need to do with their profiles to get the most out of Twitter?
3: First thing I think is you need to have a bio of some kind. Think of it as your elevator speech to a potential Twitter follower. You've got 160 characters for a bio. If you follow somebody, the question of whether or not they're going to follow you back will probably be answered in that 160 characters. So, you want to have a good idea about what you're writing there as sort of a sales pitch for somebody to get onto your follower page. You want to have a photo of some kind on Twitter. And photos are getting more and more important on Twitter. If you look at the site, it looks different than it used to. You want to have at least a headshot, but you also want to have a landscape photograph of some kind. So, you're going to have a picture of yourself, and then behind that, you're going to have a landscape shot of some kind. Maybe of your family, if you're comfortable with that, maybe of an exotic location that you visited for vacation. That's something you should really do. It's so Twitter can look better on these tablet devices so that you've got all these photos on there now. So you got to have one. If you're going to do a headshot, don't take it on your cell phone, by the way, or your smartphone. Get a professional version done. You also want to post consistently. There are so many accounts out there where there's one post, no post, or someone posting irregularly. So they don't post for four months, and then they'll post seven or eight times. you got to be sure that you're posting consistently if you're going to post to Twitter. Engagement here is the watchword, too especially if you're using Twitter to market your practice, or on social media in general. It's no longer about the, disseminating these set advertising pieces. you got to become part of the conversation, and one of the ways to start that is to post consistently to the site.
1: Clearly, lawyers want to be able to secure their accounts and to avoid running afoul of ethics rules in order to protect themselves. Do you have any tips in this regard? Oh, definitely. Uh, certainly, there's a lot to unpack here,
3: and I'm not going to get too deeply into it, but one of the things I think you need to do is to know the rules within your jurisdiction as far as advertising is concerned. If you look to those rules, though, a lot of the states are extrapolating from offline content. So if it's bad offline, it's also bad online. And I think you can do view that in one of two ways in an attorney. Either it can be a problem that there's a gray area here and that there's no real black and white answers, or you can sort of use it to your advantage, what Ernie talked about, not selling overtly but sort of uh, selling covertly, I think that's really what you want to do. Not that you're flouting any of those ethics rules, but you, you don't want to be uh, selling uh, uh, based on these uh, obscene uh, sales marketing techniques that you see out there, the non non-law- what non-lawyers are using. So know the ethics rules, and if you're going to do something online that appears to be untoward, try to find an offline equivalent and see if it would appear to be ethical to you or not. I think if you take a reasonable, careful approach that you can market yourself effectively on social media, and it's unfortunate that some lawyers just don't try to do it because they're concerned about the ethics issues. The other thing I'll say, which is the important thing about securing your account, is that you really need to know the settings that you apply on Twitter. One of the things you want to do is comb through your settings before you set up your account, or if you've already set up your account and haven't done so, look through your settings One thing that's really important, I think, is that you want to make sure that your GPS feature is turned off. You can set it so that Twitter knows your location and will add a location map to any of the tweets that you make. That can be potentially very dangerous for an attorney. So I think you want to turn that off in all instances.
0: For our listeners, I might add that you can also use these tools in conjunction to be very effective. I know all four of us, when we do blog posts, will often do a tweet immediately thereafter to start people visiting your blog post. This has been a really great podcast for me because Ernie and Jared are two of my favorite people in the law office management technology community. So thanks for joining us today, Ernie and Jared. Thanks for having us. It was a pleasure.
3: Thanks, Jim. That went by fast.
1: (laughs) It always does. And for our listeners, please be sure and join us for our next podcast when we'll be talking to guests Dennis Kennedy and Allison Shields about how lawyers can effectively use LinkedIn and Facebook. And that's all, folks, for this edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology.
0: Thanks for joining us. Goodbye, Ms. Sharon.
1: Happy trails, cowboy.